Well, good morning to you. The scripture verse this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Amen? Now, whose verse was that, Kim? That, that's Marie's verse. That was Marie's verse. We pulled that out of the jar. And, uh, yeah, third, fourth, yeah, just keep, keep stuffing the jar back there with verses. Didn't need to be your favorite verse anymore, but just verses that mean a lot to you and uh, that minister to you. We want to, we want to know. So that was, that was Marie's verse this morning. Wow, and what a verse that is. Well, good morning to you. It's good to see each one of you here. So many that we need to be praying for, lifting the, the body of Christ, this local body of Christ up before the Lord. Over the last several weeks, we have been discussing some pretty serious theological issues and topics, doctrines like uh, which gospel, how many gospels, which gospel do we preach today in this present dispensation of the grace of God. That's an important doctrine that we need to understand. We've talked about dispensational theology. We've talked about why it's important to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to understand the distinctions between prophecy and, and mystery. All of these important doctrines are to help us understand the Bible better. Help us to understand what God's Word is saying to us, what, how important that is that we're able to distinguish those truths. Well, this morning, I want us to talk about a topic that does that, but it also, I think, expresses to us just how, how much God loves us, what all Christ Jesus has done for us, that helps you understand your salvation even more. And I want us to talk about the doctrine of eternal security. It is a doctrine that our church holds to, believes, preaches, and teaches. I think it's one of the most important doctrines in the Scripture to understand that we are eternally secure. And to understand that, you need to understand the fact that, that the work has been done by the Lord Jesus Himself and that we are complete in Him, nothing, nothing lacking, that we are complete in Christ Jesus. You know, God's Word is what we stand on, we believe here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship. And the basic truths that are, that, are, that, are, that are here are things that we need to study, we need to know, we need to be aware of. And these best, basic truths from uh, the origin to where we're going to spend eternity, those are important topics. They're here in the Scripture. Knowing about the original creation, how important is that? Well, it's from the Scripture that we know 
about the original creation, the story of creation. Well, folks, it's just as important that we understand the new creation being made a new creature in Christ Jesus. The Bible talks about uh, from our origin to our eternity. The Bible answers important questions like, where did we come from? That's an important question. Where are we going? That's an important question. Why are we here? Is that an important question? That's an important question. But it also happens to tell us what happens, and this is what we need to get excited about, what happens when a person believes the gospel of the grace of God? What all takes place in an individual's life the moment by faith they believe? It's the Bible that describes the transforming work of God himself in an individual's life the moment they believe in Christ Jesus and by faith believe that he died for their sins, was buried, and rose again for them. There are things that take place immediately upon a person believing what Christ has done on their behalf on Calvary's cross, believing that he was delivered for our offenses or our sins. He was raised again for our justification. What takes place a moment somebody believes that? Not the moment somebody tries to do good. Not the moment that someone determines, I'm going to just do better. I'm going to turn over another leaf. Not, I'm going to walk down the aisle. I'm going to be water baptized. I'm going to repent. There's a whole long list of things that people, unfortunately, think they need to do when God's Word is very clear. What they need to do is, by faith, believe in the gospel. And when they do that, God miraculously, wonderfully, gloriously does some things in that person's life immediately. And we're going to summarize exactly what that's called here in a few seconds. Well, you're made a new creature. We'll just go ahead and just jump right to that. You are made a new creature. And we're going to talk about what all that entails. But the moment a person believes, you are placed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And folks, you need to know something about that. What you need to know is there's not a probationary period. There's not a trial period. You ever gone and gotten a job? And they'll say, well, this is just probationary. You were going to see how it works out. When you are placed in the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit and still there until the day of redemption, there are no conditions placed upon you. It's all based on the power of God himself. And placing you in the body of Christ and sealing you, placing his seal of ownership, sealing you by the Holy Spirit, saying, this person is mine. He is part of my body until the day of redemption. 
not only are you placed in the body of Christ, God's Word tells us that you are justified that very moment. To be justified means to be declared righteous. You know how God the Father can declare you righteous? Because you are in God the Son and He was righteous. You stand in His righteousness. You are sanctified the moment you trust Christ by faith. You are sanctified. That means set apart. Do you know why? Because you're in Christ and He was set apart. You are glorified. Do you know why? Because you're in Christ and He was glorified. I don't know about you, but that, that excites me. That thrills my heart to know that I stand perfect, complete, righteous before a holy, righteous God. And we've talked about this numerous times. It's not my own righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ. But because of the work of the Holy Spirit placing me into the body of Christ, I stand righteous before a holy God. Seated in the heavenlies. You know why I'm seated in the heavenlies? Because he's seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father. And I am in him. What a glorious salvation. What a perfect salvation that is. You know what God's word calls it? Look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 10. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. With verse 9, for in him, talking about the Lord Jesus, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He fills up the Godhead, God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He fills up the Godhead bodily. Who fills up Christ? Remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago? The church does. You do. But look at verse 10. For you are complete in Him, which is the head of, of all principality and power. You are complete in Him. Do you know what the word complete means? It means complete. It means nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. You are complete in Christ. The moment you believe what God's Word says you are to believe, by faith you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith you believe that He died for you, was buried, and rose again, you are made complete in Him, nothing lacking. There's absolutely nothing else you can do to make yourself more pleasing, more righteous, more holy, more perfect before God because you're in Christ. You talk about a perfect salvation. You talk about a salvation to get excited about. You talk about a reason to serve. You talk about a reason to say, here I am, Lord, send me. You talk about a reason to put your faith and trust 
in his direction and guidance. You talk about a reason to be excited about what's to come. You're complete in him. What a perfect salvation that is, being complete in him. And all of that adds up to the fact that you have been made a new creature, a new creation. There has been a change in your life that has been brought about not by your actions and your good works and your deeds or any man-made anything. It's all the work of God. He's the one that makes you a new creature. The key is that it's done by faith. If people trust in an altar call, if they trust in water baptism, if they trust in, will I join the church? If they trust in, oh, I, I went through a confirmation class. If they trust in anything, anything, other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they're lost. If their faith, if their faith is in any action or deed on their part and not in the finished work of Christ, then they've not been made a new creation, a new creature. That, that should concern us. That should concern us. We had a, a guy that attended St. Louis Theological Seminary years ago, one of our first students, and he pastored a church that, that taught baptismal regeneration. They had to be water baptized in order to be saved. And he decided he wanted to get his master's through a seminary, and, and he started working on it, and he started taking the classes, and boy, a change started coming over this guy, this, this pastor of a church that held to restoration theology, not dispensational theology, and as he studied, and he's opened the Word, and as we met together, and as he talked to different professors, you could see a change coming over him, and I will never, ever forget meeting with this student in that room over there. It used to be the office. And I met with him in there. And I remember the tears just flowed from this pastor as he remembered, as he regretted the hundreds of sermons and the hundreds of people that he had told that they had to get water baptized in order to be saved that he had described and taught them a false gospel and how many people had put their faith in the baptismal waters and not in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The regret just brought tears and a response to him that I'll never forget. As it should have. As it should have. miss that guy. I miss him. We are eternally secure in Christ. 
See, and that's why getting the gospel right that we preach is so important because of the doctrine of eternal security. If you're not preaching the right gospel, if you're not preaching the truth concerning the church, the body of Christ, you're not going to get eternal security in any of the other dispensations. It's not there. And that's the reason we strongly adhere to eternal security here. You say, well, wait a minute. Now, when you say eternal security, are you talking about once saved, always saved? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But I'd rather use a different term. Rather than once saved, always saved, how about actually use the term the Scripture talks about? Once in Christ, we're always in Christ. I like that term better. What about, as we heard last week, once sealed, always sealed. What about once we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, we're always seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You talk about a perfect, done deal, it is finished, salvation, that's what we have in Christ Jesus. Made a new creation. If you could see my notes here, you could see why I can't read my own writing. I'd actually taken a picture of it, and I was going to have Tim put it up on the screen because I knew this was going to happen. But we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and there is a major difference in our standing before God in this present dispensation. In our relationship with God, there is a completely different standing that we have in this dispensation that you're not going to find in any of the other dispensations. The others, it was conditional. This dispensation, in the dispensation of the grace of God, it is unconditional. Under the law, under the law, it was required circumcision, right? Israel, it, in order for the Jew to have that relationship with God, what did they have to do? They had to be circumcised. In order for them to be forgiven, what did they have to do? They had to offer up sacrifices. There were certain works in order to demonstrate their faith in God. There were certain requirements, conditions that Israel, the Jews, had to meet in order to be right with God. There's not a single one the high priest could have could not go and say, Lord, we've changed our calendar this year and we're, we're just not going to do those bloody sacrifices because we, just, we know you love us and so we're just going to skip those. What do you think would have happened? See, God's grace, there were conditions, there were works required and when by faith they did those works believing God, then God's grace was bestowed upon those actions. But they had to carry out those actions. You say, well, all that was changed after the cross. 
was it? When Peter is talking in Acts chapter 2 to you men of Judea, you men of Israel, when Peter was preaching there on the day of Pentecost, and he pretty much told all those men that had gathered because it's a feast of Pentecost, and every Jew had to be there. Every Jewish male had to be there for that feast day. So all of Israel was there, and it, they understood what was going on. And when Peter preached, these men of Judea, these men of Israel said, what must we do? Did Peter say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? No. What did Peter tell the nation of Israel, those Jews who, by the way, had a relationship with God based on the covenant promises of God? So they already had a relationship with God. That's why Christ told them, you need to be born again. You need to be, just like Israel was coming out of Egypt, it was imperative that this nation that had been born needed to be born again because their wickedness, their sin, all that they had gotten into, they needed to be born again. What they needed to do, according to Peter, was to repent and when you look at that, that, that whole context, what did they need to repent of? Crucifying Christ. He laid the blame squarely on them. You crucified him. And by the way, he's alive. Ooh, that's shocking. What must we do? What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized for the remission, for the remission of your sins. For, in order for your sins to be forgiven, what did they have to do? Water baptism. A work. As a matter of fact, repentance and water baptism were righteous works. Works of righteousness. So there were conditions attached to Israel during that dispensation during God's dealing with his chosen nation at that time what, what what about James look with me at James this sort of always gets me in trouble but that's okay because it's truth and we believe God's word is truth right look at James chapter 2 James is teaching who's he teaching First verse, 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. I mean, it just it takes all the guesswork out of it. Not the church, the body of Christ. He's talking to the 12 tribes. He's talking to Israel. James was a minister of the circumcision based on an agreement made in, in uh, Acts chapter 15. He was a minister of the circumcision. He's writing to the 12 tribes. Were works necessary absolutely and James understood that that's why in verse 24 you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only I know pastors that try to jump through hoops and they try to make the Greek sound different and make it say something that it doesn't say. But the bottom line is, you see then how a man is declared righteous by works 
and not by faith only. You go to Romans chapter 4, and Paul says exactly the opposite. And you look at Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why was that so earth-shattering? It's because the message was different. Their position was different. He writes to Titus, not by works of righteousness. There were works of righteousness. Baptism, repentance, those were all works of righteousness. Not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by His mercy, He saves us. Wow, so many distinctions. You say, but wait, wait, wait. What about those scriptures that indicate you can lose your salvation? Because there are some. There are some scriptures that seem to indicate that you can lose your salvation. But you straighten that out when you do what? Rightly divide the word of truth. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Because most they'll they'll take you to Hebrews chapter 6 when they want to prove that you can lose your salvation. Hebrews is written to Hebrews. Start with verse 4. Hebrews 6, verse 4. It is impossible. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. When was that first realized? On the day of Pentecost. That's what this is talking about here is those that experienced the day of Pentecost. We're talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to open shame. People go, see there, see there, the Bible's teaching you can lose your salvation. Well, if that is pertaining to the church, the body of Christ in this present dispensation, then if you lose it, you can't get it back. You lose it, you can't get it back. It's impossible. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about those under the kingdom program who witnessed the works of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, those signs, those wonders, those miracles, everything that took place. For them to have witnessed that, for them to walk away and say, I, after seeing it by sight, not just faith, by sight, for them to walk away, God's Word says you can't come back. You can't come back. It's pretty serious, isn't it? 
Okay, but what about Galatians? That's not written to the Hebrews. Galatians. What about Galatians chapter 5? Look at Galatians chapter 5. It's right after Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 5. Start with verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Now, who's, who's Paul talking to here? The church in Galatia. What, what was happening there? Man, they were being bombarded, bombarded. Judaizers, those that were coming up from Jerusalem, from James and the other crowd down there, they were coming up to Jerusalem, uh, to Antioch. They were coming up to Galatia, those churches there. And they were telling them, you have to be circumcised. You have to obey the law, the law of Moses. And they were listening to that kingdom gospel. That's what they were listening to. So stand fast, therefore, in the liberty whereby Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's what the law will do. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You want to put your salvation under the law? Good luck with that. You're not going to be able to do it. But if you want to do it, that's okay. You, you go right ahead. You are debtor. You are obligated to do the whole law. Christ has become, here we go, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. It's not saying that you've fallen from grace, you've lost your salvation. The whole point here. That being made, the, the point that Paul is trying to make is, is that you're putting your faith in the law. You're putting your faith in the sacrifices. You're putting your, law, your faith in circumcision. You go ahead and do that, but then grace will not avail you anything. Grace avails nothing under those circumstances. Here Paul is writing to this church in Galatia. He is warning them not to believe, not to put themselves under the law because all of these people, if they were preaching and teaching and people were coming and hearing and they were hearing the gospel of the kingdom and they were placing themselves under the law, then the message of God's redeeming grace, the message that we preach is of no effect. It's assuming you are choosing to go the way of the law and you're rejecting grace. Well, how serious is that? See, I want you to realize, the reason I keep harping on this is because I want you to realize the absolute uniqueness of your standing before God. I want you to realize the absolute salvation that you have in Christ and God's purpose for you. It's absolutely imperative that you understand these truths. 
you are not just saved from the fires of hell. You're not just saved from the fires of hell. That's good that you are saved from the fires of hell. Amen? But you are not just saved from the fires of hell. You are not just forgiven. It's good to be forgiven. Amen? Both of those things are true, but that's not all. Understand, embrace, fully appreciate that you have been made a new creature. Look at 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and that's the key, folks, to be in Christ. And how did you get in Christ? By your good works, by your good looks, by your sweetness, by your kindness, by any ritual that you performed? Absolutely not. You are in Christ because you, by faith, believe God, trusted in His death, burial, and resurrection to save you. You say, man, I just wish there had been a, a bell or a whistle or I wish the lights had blinked on and off to give me some indication that what I had done was what God wanted. Well, then do you realize you'd been walking by sight then and not by faith when it's God wanting you to walk by faith? He's wanting you to trust Him, trust His Word. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Of course, I like the old, the new one. God said it. That settles it whether I believe it or not. But that's, God's Word says that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What you believe is important. Believe the gospel. But you've been made a new creature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I, I used to, every time I'd preach that or quote that, I'd change the word to creation. But I really think the word needs to be creature because that's what's really happened. I've been made a new creature. You've been made a new creature. You are not the same any longer. You have changed from God's perspective because you have gone from being in Adam to being in Christ. From in Adam, which is why you were lost, you inherited that lost condition. You're lost not because of your sins, by the way. Those are an outcome. Those are, those are pretty much a, a proof of you've been tainted by that kinship to Adam. But man has fallen and lost because of his relationship with Adam. But you are in Adam. Look at 1, look at 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 21, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Look down at verse 45. 
And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, was made a quickening spirit. You go from being in Adam to a new man, a new creature. You're standing before God completely, totally changes. Someone said, well, yeah, that's true until you sin again. A couple of things. Number one, so are you saying that your salvation is dependent upon what you do and not what Christ has done? Because maybe that could be another sermon. So do you go from being a new creature up to not a new creature, up a new creature, up to not a new creature, from a new creature up now, I got it, lost it, got it, lost it, got it, lost it. Because I tell you, I will sin before the end of the day. My wife will attest that you probably will. Someone on the way home will pull out in front of me or do something that aggravates me. So did I have it and then I lost it? I have been made a new creature in Christ. And if you think that your salvation is based upon what you do, to me, one of the greatest, greatest basic truths in the Scripture is this. My sin's been dealt with. The price of my sin has been extracted and placed upon the one who and only one that had the authority to pay the debt that I owed. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So for you to say that every time someone sins, they've lost it, nope, they got it back, they've lost it, it is to say that his death on Calvary's cross is not all sufficient. And I'm here to tell you, it is. It is all sufficient. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 21. You're not too far from there already. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's how God sees me. He sees me in the Son, eternally secure, sealed into the day of redemption, seated with Him in the heavenlies, justified, sanctified, glorified. It's not my own workings. There's nothing I can do to pacify God's righteousness, His holiness. But the Lord Jesus Christ has. And my faith is in Him and His finished work on the cross. Amen. Been made a new creation. Romans chapter 5 verse 38 tells us that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, yeah, your, your sin can. 
God's word is very clear. Romans chapter 6. Yeah, I was dead in sin, but now I'm dead to sin. Because I am so holy and righteous and good? No, but because he is. And I'm in him. Do you see how that salvation works and what God offers to all who believes? That's why I, I've always had a problem with this little phrase. And I don't, okay, it's, it's all right. Well, anyway, this phrase, you, you need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. Okay, that's, but don't stop there. Yeah, well, you're, they're right. You need to get right with God. But then they usually follow it. You need to get back in church. Oh, you need for this or for that or this or that. They add to it. Instead of saying, you need to get right with God, and you do that by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He accomplished on the cross for your behalf. And you go, boy, that's easy. But you know what else God does then? He sanctifies you. He justifies you. He redeems you. He glorifies you. He does all of those things. Your salvation is His absolute, complete work. It's not what you've done to deserve it. Now, we are His workmanship, right? Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship, created unto good works. So as He works in our lives to mold and shape, and as we grow in Christ, as we study His Word, good works... Are of God. And if there are no good works, then I got to tell you, it makes me wonder about that individual salvation. Because when He saved us, He didn't save us to sit, He saved us to serve. Did I say that last week? I think I did. Well, it fits here too. Look at Colossians 2. I have so many other scriptures, but I want to finish up here real quick. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Let's go back to that. Colossians 2 verse 10. And you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised and the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Talk about identifying with him. Wow. We identify with Christ. Buried with him in baptism, or his death, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, all sins, if you by faith have trusted him, all sins... You've been forgiven. And in verse 14, this is what I want to bring your attention to. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances or the law that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross.
Now, some people go, preach it, preacher. That means I can go out and sin. Didn't you hear what I just read? Didn't you hear what I just read? These scriptures, they don't make me want to go out and sin. They make me want to love him more and go out and serve. It makes me appreciate. It makes me praise him. It makes me love him. It makes me understand the extreme measures he took in order to redeem me back to himself. Had one Baptist preacher said, well, you're, you're saved... We were talking about eternal security. And this was the Baptist preacher. Kind of blew my mind. Uh, we were talking about eternal security. And I thought, hey, this is something we can agree on. And he said, well, I believe in eternal security as long as uh, you believe. But if you stop believing, well, then you're lost. You're no longer a new creature. Um, then I reminded him of 2 Timothy 2.13. Tim, 2 Timothy 2.13. If we believe not, yet he, and he's talking, these are talking to believers. This is talking to the church, the body of Christ. Even if we believe not, yet he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself, you, church of the living God, his body. He cannot deny himself. Am I the only one here this morning that during my Christian walk, my journey from the f first time I got saved, am I the only one that ever had doubts and wonders and questions and desired to just walk away and thinking that's not true? Am I the only one? But even when I had those, he could not deny himself. He could not. And I was in him. I was in him. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, He will preserve us blameless. He will preserve us blameless. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He will preserve. What a glorious God we serve. But what about those folks, and we all know them, that say they've trusted in Christ. They claim to be Christians. But there's absolutely no evidence in their life that they've been saved. What about those? pretty likely they're not saved. See, here's what's interesting is we are made in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit, and our soul can do some miraculous things. It's our conscience. It's our ability to reason. It is where our brain operates, and our soul can be regretful. It can be ashamed. It can feel guilt. It can fill all sorts of things. 
Even so that when an invitation is given because of things that have happened in their life that causes them to want to run down the aisle because they, they feel like that's the thing to do. But see, that person has not done the thing that they needed to do in order to be saved, and that is to believe that Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. Because the moment they do that, the moment they do that, God's going to do His work in their life when they believe by faith. My question to them is what? They say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, well I was born in America, was I? Well, I'm a Christian. My granddaddy was a preacher. Well, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, I, I, I memorized the Lord's Prayer. Well, I'm a Christian. All sorts of stuff. All sorts of stuff. They'll pile up. My question is, what is their faith? In. And if it's not in the death, burial, and resurrection, then they're still dead in sin. What about those that are truly saved, but boy, they fall into gross immorality and rebellion? Uh, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 5.1. Oh. It talks about the guy that was in gross immorality and sin and he was having a relationship with his father's wife whether that was his mother it didn't say but how how deplorable that is term because i think this is gonna this will tell you what's going to happen to those people that do fall away it happens right it happens first corinthians chapter five Verse five, yeah, first, uh, first Corinthians 5, 5. I've just told you this is what the guy was guilty of. This is what he was doing. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. This guy was a believer. This guy was saved for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. To me, that's, a, that's significant in counseling people that have fallen away. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about being saved as of by fire, that judgment and the loss of reward. All of that goes into answering that question. What about those that we know that have, but they, they trusted Christ. They had a tremendous testimony. They lived for the Lord. They served God. Then something happened and away they went. You can count on the Holy Spirit to do His work in their life to draw them back to Himself. But from this scripture, it also says that Satan can have his way and there is destruction of the flesh, but their spirit's saved. Just that portion of scripture convinces me that eternal security is true. And then there are other types of people, but we don't have time this morning. So do we sin that grace may abound? Romans 6.1, what does Paul say there? God forbid. 
Paul was answering that question because they were thinking, oh, it's, grace is so amazing. It is so wonderful. It's so delightful. Does that mean that we can sin? No. I'm secure. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I am dead to sin. I'm alive unto God. I believe that Christ died for me, was buried, and rose again. And by faith I trusted God to do all that he said he would do. To seal me, to make a new creature, to justify, sanctify, seat me. I am his workmanship. And if you by faith have trusted Christ, you are his workmanship also. Lots of legalism. Maybe in a few weeks we'll talk about that. Because I'm not going to get a chance to get to 1 Corinthians 10, 23 that basically says everything is lawful, but not everything edifies. Everything is legal, but not everything glorifies. What in the world is that talking about? We do need to discuss that. you show me a person that is confident and comfortable with their sin, I'll show you someone who's not part of the body of Christ. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's true. Let's pray. Father, how I thank you for that eternal security that I have been bought, that we have been bought with such a great price. Father, we're not our own. We do not belong to ourselves any longer. We belong to you. And we have been made new creatures. We are no longer in the old man. We are in the new man. We are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. And Father, we stand before you in him, eternally secure. It's not by our deeds, our efforts, And it's certainly not because of our sins, because you have dealt with those in a wonderful, marvelous way as you became sin for us. You paid that debt. And Father, I pray this morning that every person here understands that truth, that their sin debt has been paid in full. And the salvation that's offered to all by faith through your amazing grace, through the amazing completeness of the cross. I pray that everyone understands that this morning. And so our heart's desire is to serve you. Not worried about whether we're going to go to heaven or hell, but we're going to worry, we're going to be concerned about whether our neighbor is going to go to heaven or hell. Father, We're not worried about our standing. We know that we're complete in Christ. We're worried about our family standing, whether or not they by faith trusted you. Father, may we be concerned, moved 
to do something about that as we share the gospel, understanding that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Father, may that be what we teach and we preach to a world that is so lost. Now, Father, I thank you for bringing us here today. Father, I thank you for bringing Joyce here today. Father, thank you for gladdening our hearts in such a miraculous way. Thank you for Steve. Continue to pray for Joyce. Continue to pray for those others that can't be here today. Father, you know what all is going on in their lives. We lift them up before you. Now, Father, bless us as we are dismissed. Father, may we leave here understanding that we are marching into the mission field and we have a mission. Give us boldness. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name.